Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! Yes, yes, y'all. We got another show on tap for you guys today. As of this recording, it is Sunday, June 6th, and there is plenty to discuss that happened throughout the week that involves pop culture and everything in between. We got to talk about Monique and her war with bonnets. Okay, that'll be within our mic check segment. Also, we got to talk about Issa Rae being tapped to play a character in the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. We got to talk about Naomi Osaka pulling out of the French Open due to mental health reasons. And we're going to be discussing Rory and Mal collaborating with Kevin Durant. Yes, that Kevin Durant on a new project. So it'll be very interesting to see what will be unfolded with that. But before we get to all of that, you guys already know how we do to get the show started. I got some stuff to get off my chest. And boy, oh boy, this is going to be a good one. This is going to be a petty party of epic proportions. So on that note, it is time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. Yes, yes, yes. So for those of you who are watching the NBA playoffs this week, you already know that a certain team from L.A. not named the Clippers was eliminated from the playoffs. And obviously, that is no secret. That is no surprise. I am talking about the 17-time champion Los Angeles Lakers. And if you guys know me or have listened to my show before, then you already know that I don't give a shit about the Lakers. I don't give a shit about their fan base, their organization, as a crew, as a staff, and as a record label. (laughs) Shout out to Tupac. But, um, (laughs) But nonetheless, they did in fact get eliminated by the Phoenix Suns this past week, led by Devin Booker, who showed up big with 47 points in a closeout game that is how you close out a team so shout out to Devin Booker and I'll be speaking about him and a few others later on in this segment but nonetheless they get eliminated and there's going to be a lot of questions to be answered within the offseason but obviously upon a media reaction the fans are not pleased and you know why the fans are not pleased it's because Lakers fans have deluded themselves into believing that they can have nice things all the time now i know there's a few laker fans that i've talked to out there who seem pretty fair and pretty uh, objective so this rant if you will is not aimed at you guys i've already had conversations with quite a few of you and you guys are a-okay in my books i have no qualms with you whatsoever But to everyone else, oh, please believe you're about to get a dose of petty from yours truly, Mr. DM Cool himself. So let's get this petty, petty party started, shall we? So like I was saying, Lakers fans have deluded themselves into believing that they can get everything they want and that they can have nice things all the time. But guess what? It doesn't always work out like that. Just because you're the Lakers and that you're in a... 
big market and that you have all these Hollywood celebrities coming to your games courtside whenever whenever it's the finals or the second round of the playoffs, whatever the case may be, just because you have all that happening doesn't mean that you get to have nice things all the time. Sometimes you actually have to work for what you want to get. And that's the problem with the Lakers organization. They don't work for what they want to get. They always want to rely on signing the big names because that's what's going to sell tickets. It's going to put asses in seats. The celebrities are going to come to the celebrity row and sit in the seats all the time. The media is going to be talking about Tinseltown and purple and gold. First of all, it's fucking yellow. It's not per- it's it's not gold. It's yellow, all right? Let's get it straight. It's yellow. But anyways, I digress. Here's what happened to the playoffs, or sorry, here's what happened to the Lakers and why they messed up in the playoffs. So first and foremost, injuries. So unfortunately, no one can beat injuries, all right? And the injuries just didn't take place in the playoffs. It took place during the regular season when their two main guys, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, got injured. And the Lakers thinking that, okay, well, we can just kind of go on cruise control. And, you know, by the time they get back, you know, we'll get back to our winning ways. It doesn't matter where we're placed or where we're seated. We'll just get back to our winning ways and just steamroll through the conference. No, it doesn't work like that. I'm sorry, but it doesn't work like that. If you're injured, especially with the injuries that they had, whether it was a high ankle sprain or when it came to Anthony Davis during the regular season, uh, I mean, who who knows at this point? This guy's always injured all the time. In fact, there was a list of injuries that Anthony Davis had throughout the regular season, not including the playoffs. And I'm going to go by them one by one, okay? And there was actually dates. There are dates to say when he had these injuries. So let's go through the dates, all right? Starting from December 28th, from when basically the season was already a week into play. Right calf contusion. January 13th, jammed toe. January 28th, right quad. February 6th, left knee contusion. February 8th, right Achilles tendinosis. February 14th, strained Achilles. May 12th, left abductor tightness. This is basically coming into the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. And then in the playoffs, midway through the playoffs, May 30th, left groin strain now the interesting thing about this groin strain is the fact that for whatever reason the trainers and the doctors of the Lakers staff thought it was the smart idea to have him cleared after having only a day of rest after he had that groin injury and for those of you who do not know a groin injury basically restricts your lateral movement so making cuts from side to side and things that you just do instinctively you are now restricted to not doing because of the groin injury and groin injuries take a long time to recover from even when you're actually like fully recovered and you're ready to play you don't have the exact same burst as you did before that shit takes like at least like to be fully recovered and fully healthy it takes probably like maybe like a year at best to get that full burst. But even when you're cleared to start playing again, you don't quite have it. Pascal Siakam had the same injury last season. And when he came back, still putting up all-star numbers, but he was nowhere near as fluid as he was before. It was very hesitant on making certain moves and stuff like that. You didn't even see him using the, the patent and spin anymore. DeMar DeRozan had the same injury about, I want to say, six years ago in the 2014-15 season. 
And yeah, when he came back from that injury, again, he wasn't the same. So with all of that being said, especially taking into account his injury history, why would the Lakers management and trainers and staff think that it would be a good freaking idea to have him play right after his injury? Are you insane? But again, this is Lakers culture. It's like, oh, we have the superstars. We have to have them play. But this is Anthony Davis we're talking about. And Anthony Davis is somebody whom, while I think is a very talented basketball player, I think he is slightly overrated when you have fans and media members especially, especially with the media, they love to tout that he's a top five player in the NBA. I think this is false. I think what's happening or what has happened throughout the years is that fans and media members have been infatuated with the idea of Anthony Davis. All right, hear me out. They're infatuated with the idea of an Anthony Davis, as in somebody who somebody who checks all the boxes. So you're a 6'10 player, so you're basically a big man at this point. You can play the 4 or 5 spot. You're athletic enough to cover multiple positions. You have the shooting touch from long range and mid range. You have a, a face to the basket game. You have a back to the basket game. You have a respectable handle. You're a very good defender, like on the block and on the post and what have you. And you have all that rolled into one. When we start thinking about guys like that, people start to have these fantasies, like literal and figuratively speaking, fantasies of what they want in an ideal player. Essentially, it's like playing NBA 2K or NBA Live back in the day and creating your own player and having him max out all of the levels that you're looking at as far as being a complete basketball player. That is basically what these fans and media personnel want to manifest in real life in the form of Anthony Davis. And the fact of the matter is, while he is a little bit good at all of those things, the fact that he, you know, before being with the Lakers, the fact that he has barely gotten out of the first round throughout his entire career and has been injured so many times throughout his entire career, I can't put him in the top five in the NBA. To me, a top five player in the NBA is somebody who has done one of the three, if not all three of the following. You have won the regular season MVP award. You have at least competed in the NBA Finals. And you have not only competed in the NBA Finals, but were the Finals MVP as well. Before coming to the Los Angeles Lakers last season, Anthony Davis had done none of the above. Players that I would consider top five would be LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, um, let's see, Giannis, I know I'm on six right now. Hell, you can even make an argument for Russell Westbrook as well because he's at least met one of those criteria. No, he's met two of those criteria, actually, now that I think about it. But the fact of the matter remains is that they met all those criteria. Anthony Davis, before going to the Lakers last season, did not. And sure, he had a very good playoff run last year and he won a championship, but he was playing alongside LeBron James. And LeBron James, up until this year, 
guarantees you a trip to the NBA Finals. He has shown that throughout his entire career. Well, let's say actually, no, not his entire career, for like the last 10 years of his career. Let's just say that. Um, so, yeah, it's just like I don't see why people put him in the top five when he's always been in a losing situation. He's gotten out of the first round maybe twice, and outside of that, he's either not gone out the first round or not made it to the playoffs at all. And yet we applaud, or not we, but a lot of people applaud him for his talent and the skills and say, oh, he needs to get out of New Orleans and et cetera, et cetera. But let me put this to the table for a second. If we're talking about, you know, in more than ever in this generation about guys who put up empty stats and and they just bloat their numbers to make it look good for the stat chart then why is Anthony Davis never included in that conversation? People always chastise Russell Westbrook for being that guy, for being the guy who, when he puts up triple doubles for three seasons in a row, it's empty stat calories. They don't mean anything. They don't lead to winning or anything like that. But when it comes to Anthony Davis, we give him that credit. I don't understand that. People used to criticize Kevin Love when he was in Minnesota, a guy who, was, who at that time was averaging 28 points and 11 rebounds a game and was arguably the best power forward in the league at that time. But they all said that it was empty stats. But when it's, but when it's Anthony Davis, it's, oh, he needs help. He needs to get out of there. Kevin Love needed help. At least for Russell Westbrook, you could say, yeah, he had help. So, you know, you can you can have that one. But Kevin Love, he definitely needed help in Minnesota, which is probably one of the worst organizations in the NBA. He needed help. At least Anthony Davis had DeMarcus Cousins playing alongside him at one point in time. Kevin Love had no one. But for whatever reason, Anthony Davis gets the benefit of the doubt. I don't understand it. To me, he's not a top five player in the league. I'll give him top 10. No problem. You won't, I, I won't argue with anyone who's going to say he's top 10. But if you have to begin every sentence with Anthony Davis regarding his top five status or alleged top five status with the following phrase, and I quote, when healthy, then chances are he's probably not a top five player. If anything, he's a top five liability in the league because for whatever reason, this guy cannot find a way to stay healthy. I remember Steph Curry had those same criticisms early in his career when he had the glass ankles, but then he was able to get over that eventually. But Anthony Davis, for whatever reason, can never stay healthy. And those lists of injuries that I mentioned earlier, those were about, what, seven or eight injuries, give or take? And those were all within the course of one season, let alone his entire career. So why are we giving this guy who's probably 26 right now, not even 30 yet, 26, still in his mid-20s, the benefit of the doubt when stating when healthy. No, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it. Am I even saying this because he's a Laker now? This, this is a criticism that I've had for him for a, quite a while. I was like, yeah, this guy's talented, but he's always injured. And usually when it comes to like a big man, like a, a player who plays in the post for the most part, they're usually able to kind of galvanize the rest of the team to, to get them into a winning position. But not Anthony Davis because he's always injured all the time. So I don't get it. I just don't get it. But I'm going to leave it at that because we have a lot more petty tea to be passing around right now. So let's keep it moving, shall we? 
So let's go to LeBron James for a second. And I'm not going to spend too much time on LeBron James because I feel like I've exercised my hate demons with regards to LeBron James. In my mind, he's the second best player in NBA history. I will definitely acknowledge that. My apologies to all the bronze sexuals. He is not the best player of all time. Get over it. Sorry, not not accepting it. But he's definitely second best. And there's nothing wrong with being the second greatest player in NBA history. There's nothing wrong with that. But I digress. LeBron James, he's getting old. Let's just call it what it is. He's getting old. He looks like he's in fantastic shape. And for the average 36-year-old, he is Goku. All right? Let's keep it 100. But at the end of the day... Father time is undefeated. No one escapes the hourglass. And we are clearly showing that with LeBron James. Like the man had a high ankle sprain and was basically gone for almost a month. And even when he came back to play on the court, you can still see the effects of the high ankle sprain. Even before that injury, I've noticed LeBron in the last few years, like when he drives left, for example, he doesn't attack the rim strong. He doesn't even attack with his left hand. He tries to, you know, do an off-balance off balance right-hand jumper, and sometimes he gets blocked or sometimes it just doesn't go in because he's shooting it at an awkward angle. And my thing is, you know, as far as the other teams are concerned, is why don't you just trap him on his left? Because right now it looks like he has no left, which is very weird to show because LeBron is a very ambidextrous basketball player. A lot of basketball players are, especially ones who attack the basket. But he can't seem to finish with the left properly, so why not trap him on his left? But anyways, I digress. LeBron's age is starting to show. It's starting to show heavily. And I think a lot more teams need to attack that aspect of him. Um, and I think the Phoenix Suns, Phoenix Suns did a very fantastic job of that. Now, he put a good stats. What, 25, 7, and 8? Like, those are the, the, the LeBron stats that we expect to see. But I think going forward now, you can't expect LeBron James to be your best player if you are aiming to win a championship. LeBron James has to be your second best player at this point. Um, you can put him in the facilitator role where he'll, he'll assist to other players. He'll grab the rebounds and all that good stuff. But you need to have a number one option. And I know Anthony Davis, I know they were grooming Anthony Davis to be that number one option going forward. But Anthony Davis has too much of an injury history to have that responsibility. I would, I, even I wouldn't want to have Anthony Davis as a number one option. I'd rather have him as a number two, dare I say number three, just based on his injury history alone. So I think they need to do a better job of creating an identity of the Lakers rather than just being, oh, we're Lakers culture. We are winners. We have all these banners. Kareem, Magic, Shaq, Kobe. We have a tradition. That's not a culture. That's just you flexing off your trophies from past years and living in nostalgia. You need to establish a culture and establish a team identity and a playing identity in order to know where you're going, where you're heading, and how you're going to get to that destination. And just saying, oh, well, we have LeBron isn't going to cut it because this guy's 37 years old. He's been playing professional basketball since he was 18. This guy's been in the league for 19 years. He's old. He is old. Can, can we acknowledge that, please? He's old. By NBA standards, he is an old man. He can't do it forever. I don't know what you, I don't know what, what you bronze sexuals, what you Laker fans want from LeBron. One thing that I found a little bit distasteful from LeBron, however, is the fact that this guy walked off the court, and I think it was game five with like five minutes left. Now, they didn't, they didn't 
reveal any reports as to why he left the, the, the game. If it was to check on an injury or do some more treatment, if that was the case, then fine. But they didn't even do that. So all we have to speculate now is, well, you left the court while the rest of the team had to sit on the bench or stay on the court and take this L head on. And you just went back to your dressing room and did what? I mean, I think it's kind of bullshit in my opinion. I mean, Pascal Siakam fouled out of the game and there was about 30 seconds left of the game and he walked to uh, to the dressing room and people gave him shit for it. He even got suspended by the Raptors organization for that shit. And it's just like, okay, there's 30 seconds left in the game. He fouled out. What the hell? But then LeBron James leaves with half a quarter left in the game. Half a quarter left. But again, this is Lakers culture we're talking about over here, right? Never punish your superstars. Always pamper them like babies and shit. But whatever. And then another thing about the Lakers. <laughs> man, I have so much notes on the Lakers to get to. This Half of this episode might be about the Lakers. I'm just letting y'all know right now. I think we're at like the 15-minute mark or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. But anyways... There are so many mistakes that, that go down as to why the Lakers lost. And it goes beyond um, LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis. A lot of it has to do with coaching as well. Why weren't players like Mark Gasol, Montrezl Harrell being properly utilized? You got Mark Gasol because he's an experienced big who has recent championship success with the Raptors, who is a defensive specialist and can stretch the floor with three-pointers. And is also a facilitator on offense as well. And yet, they barely used him. And then when it came to Montrezl Harrell, this guy was the sixth man of the year last year. And when it came to the playoffs, you barely used him. And then when it comes to, um, what's this guy's name? Dennis Schroeder. I mean, this guy's an idiot. This guy turned down an $80 million extension and thinking that he can get a $100 million extension. And yet, this guy did not show up in the playoffs for them whatsoever. He'll be lucky if he gets like a $70 million deal because all people are going to remember is how you played on your last contract term. And then Kyle Kuzma. Listen, I, it's been, hmm, this generation of young basketball players. I tell you, man, I'm not even talking about the stars themselves. I'm talking about the role players. A lot of these guys like Kuzma and and uh, what's what's this guy's name? Uh, ooh, uh, Oach, uh, Kelly Oubre, Kelly Oubre. A lot of these guys care more about their Instagram drip than they do about the actual game itself. This guy, Kuzma, dresses better than he plays. He reminds me of one of LeBron James's old teammates from the Cleveland Cavaliers back in the day. Can't remember the guy's name. He was a little guy who could shoot the three-pointer, but he always came to the game dressed like friggin' Steve Harvey in one of those long-ass Mississippi pimp suits. Reminds me of that guy. Can't remember his name, but his name's not important anyway. Kuzma, Kuzma's a new version of that now. I see him put more effort in his Instagram flex than he does on the game. And I'm sorry, but because he plays for the Lakers, I think his value is very overstated. I think he's a very overrated player. I've never seen a role player get so much hype than this guy because of his potential and what have you. Now, granted, I give him credit for, you know, coming out of the second round and showing some talent. But at the end of the day, you still need to continue to work on your game, especially when you've gone on social media and said how, you know, you're taking headshots now. But all we're seeing from you are bricks. So why should I care about you or anyone else for that matter? 
This guy's a joke. I don't even care about this Kuzma. Kuz, 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 Kuzmania. Bro, you're known for dating a Jenner more than you are for being a basketball player. Sit the fuck down. And then let's talk about the mainstream media, shall we? Especially when it comes to ESPN. Man, y'all love talking about the LA Lakers every single chance you get. Some of y'all even have like a fetish for the Los Angeles Lakers. And a lot of these, you know, media experts and what have you will always talk about how the NBA is a better product when the Lakers are in the playoffs or or it's not even when the Lakers are in the playoffs, but when the Lakers are winning a championship. No, it doesn't. It's only better for you guys because you know that the Lakers will give you guys ratings in the finals, especially when it comes to the casual viewers, because to the casual viewer, somebody who rarely watches basketball or doesn't watch it at all, they only know about the Lakers because it's in Los Angeles and they know that that's where all the celebrities go and watch their games whenever there's a finals happening. And they know that the Lakers are synonymous with recent superstars like Shaq and Kobe. That's the only reason why that you guys parade the Lakers so much because you know it increases your ratings and revenue. But what really makes the NBA great is the fact that you are going to have new and emerging talents rising. And the best thing about it is the fact that they're not coming from major markets. Devin Booker, that we just talked about, dropping 47 on the Lakers, advancing into the next round. You have Donovan Mitchell, who led the Utah Jazz to the best record in the NBA as the one seed in the Western Conference, having his coming out party. Luka Doncic. Arguably had his coming out party last year, but hopefully if they're able to get the job done against the Compton Clippers can take them back to the friggin Compton swap house meet so that they can be, you know, a legitimate contender in, in the playoffs this year as well. You have all these new faces coming coming into the game who guys who are in like their early to mid 20s who are letting it be known that their time is now Trey Young. Becoming the instant new villain of Madison Square Garden and dropping buckets as he was doing it. This is what it's all about. This is what a lot of these guys, you know, in the, in the mainstream media should be talking about. Not the demise of the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, mind you, I, I may sound like a hypocrite because that's what I'm talking about right now. But that's because I'm petty and I don't like the Los Angeles Lakers. So that's why I'm talking about it right now. But a lot of these people are talking about it in the sense that it's it's bad for the NBA and that we should be in a state of emergency. No, this is not a state of, of emergency. This is a state of flourishing. The NBA is flourishing with young talent and they're letting it be known that their time is now. So the mainstream media should be accepting that and embracing that and and stop demonizing small market teams because of the fact that they're playing in these obscure cities or states. That shouldn't be the case at all. Look at the Toronto Raptors uh, two years ago when they won a championship. Um, Now, Toronto is by no means a small market because it's the fourth largest market in all of North America. But to them, the Americans, they think it's a small market because of the fact that it's not in America. If it were in America, it would be treated in the same light as a Dallas or Chicago in that sense. But it's not. It's in Canada. Therefore, it's seen as an international city. And it's hard to get camera crews and stuff like that up across customs because our borders and blah, blah, blah and all these bullshit excuses. That's why they demonize it. That's why they demonize a lot of these smaller markets because they're not as sexy or as marquee as a Los Angeles or as New York City. 
Times Square, Madison Square Garden, and all that other shit. Well, what they should be propping up is the fact that a lot of these guys are on the come up and that these are you, your new faces for the league going forward and they should be treated as such instead of somewhat living in the past talking about LeBron, LeBron, LeBron all the time. It's like most of their content is about LeBron or the Lakers. I just, they need to get out of their own asses. And then going back to the Lakers, the thing about the Lakers that I, I find funny is that you know, I talked about how they have no culture, they have no identity. All they ever talk about or all they ever bloviate about is the fact that they've won X amount of championships. They have these great legends who have played for, for their organization for years upon years. But the joke is they could arguably have more championships at this moment if they had groomed the young talent or just the talent that they had in general to the point to where they are now so that they could be the new faces of the league and the new faces of their team going forward. But no, everything about the Laker culture is gimme, gimme right now, right now. I'm entitled. I'm spoiled. I can get what I want. I'm a Disney princess. Treat me as such. Let me tell you something. These guys had players like Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle, D'Angelo, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Jordan Clarkson, and Lou Williams. Since leaving the Lakers, whether it's through free agency or through trade or whatever the case may be, two of the players that I just mentioned had become six men of the year. One of them became um, the most improved player of the no two of them actually two of them became most improved player and three of them became all-stars since leaving the lakers that should tell you something that should tell you something so rather than you know bloviating about lakers supremacy and and it's a privilege to to wear the purple and gold and all that bullshit all that elitist bullshit you should actually be cultivating your talents and grooming them that's how teams like the San Antonio Spurs stay relevant. And I get the Lakers will always have the benefit of staying relevant because they play in Los Angeles and they're Hollywood's team. They're America's team, apparently, which, OK, sure. I'm not American, so fuck it. Y'all can have that shit. But if you really want to stay relevant in a good way, in a competitive basketball way, groom your younger talent, which is why I never really understood the hate for the Golden State Warriors you know, with the exception of Kevin Durant coming over, because they did it the right way. They groomed all their young talent to, to get them into contendership status. And yet people were hating on that. But when the Lakers get to be shit for how for maybe two or three seasons and then they get LeBron's like, oh my god, the Lakers are back. The NBA, oh my god, our saviors. Like they're the Avengers. Get off your asses, all right? So I'm going to bring the petty party to a close for now when it comes to the Lakers. So F the Lakers. They suck. I'm glad they lost. They deserve to lose. They did nothing at all to work towards an NBA championship. They thought they could go into cruise control throughout the regular season and then come playoff time, they can just hit that on switch. And that just goes to show that the regular season does hold value and hold importance because if you're not consistently maintaining your craft throughout the regular season and getting yourself ready for playoff action, then 
reaching down and, and getting the seventh seed and then losing in the first round is exactly what's going to happen to you. And they deserved every single second of it. And I feel no sympathy whatsoever for LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Dennis Schroeder, uh, Frank Vogel, the entire coaching staff, and whomever is wearing the yellow and gold. Or sorry, yellow and purple. Pardon me. I don't care. Let these people lose. Let them fall on their own faces. I don't give a shit. And I hope I get to say the same thing about the Clippers after tonight's game versus the Mavericks. I hope the Mavericks mollywop them. I hope. I hope that they do. Oh, my gosh. Because I'm tired of this major market bullshit, man. It's really getting on my nerves now. Like, I don't care to see three or four teams with half of the NBA stars playing for those teams. Otherwise, why am I watching? Why? So in closing, F the Lakers, hold this massive size L and 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 cherish it for the rest of the summer because y'all are going to Cancun in the worst ways. Screw the Lakers. Now I probably just lost some subscribers off of that, some followers on on IG, but I don't care because the Lakers ain't shit. But do you agree? Do you disagree? You already know. I love to hear your thoughts, views, and opinions on these things. So let me know. Hit me up um, on any or all of my socials and let me know. Damn, I went pretty long on that, actually. I did not expect to go that long on that. But nonetheless, you, you already know how I do. I had a lot to get off my chest, if you ask me. Been holding that in since, what, Thursday? I think it was when they lost, but whatever. We'll leave that alone. Now let's talk about the mic check segment of the week, which is Monique. Now, the comedian Monique has fallen on hard times over the last three or four years now. Um, and it all started with the whole Netflix controversy, which we'll get into later on in the pod. <clears throat> but what I want to talk about now is a viral video that she put up recently and basically stating how she does not like to see black women wearing bonnets. And she basically stated how, you know, whenever she sees black women wearing bonnets or headscarves it's embarrassing to her and that you know black women should be seen as queens but then when you're wearing uh garments like that then people don't view as a queen and then on top of that she also said that if you do see a black woman on the street wearing a bonnet or a headscarf that you should tap that woman on the shoulder and tell her that you're a queen you don't need to be wearing all those things okay all right so this all this screams out respectability politics straight up and this is not surprising coming from a woman who used to be the host of a tv show called charm school which basically they had to rehabilitate ratchet women into classy women of societies in order for them to be uh more attractable to the male audience that's basically what the show was about they took all the girls from all those vh1 reality shows like flavor of love and rock of love and all that stuff and try to domesticate them to make them uh suitable for be being wed and for being housewives and what have you and subservient women that's basically what the show was about so i'm not surprised that this is coming from from monique now here's my personal opinion on headscarves and bonnets and all that stuff i'm not particularly crazy about them in all honesty but at the same time i'm not gonna police what a woman or anyone else for that matter, man or woman is wearing. If that's what they're going to wear, cool. I'll keep my thoughts to myself, but I'm not going to approach them on the street and be like, queen, you should do better. Like, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) I really don't. 
Back in the day when I was a teenager, I used to rock a do-rag in public mainly because it was a fashion statement. That was a fashion statement within hip-hop at the time to wear the do-rag and have your two-tone um, fitted cap over over the top of it as well. That was just the image. Like Whether it was 50 Cent, Cassidy, Ludacris, like all the rappers are doing it. And of course, as a teenager, you want to fit in with what's popular and what's trendy within fashion and all that stuff. So yeah, I used to do that, but when I was a kid, all right? If I see a grown-ass man, you know, my age, whatever, wearing a do-rag in public, you know, going to the movies, whatever the case may be, I'm not going to have the craziest opinion on him, but I'm not going to approach him and be like, King, you need to do it better. You're you're a black king. You should set an example. No, that's his business. I don't know the guy. If he wants to wear a do-rag in public, that's him. I don't know him, whatever. Now, I think there's context to a lot of things here, okay? So, my thing is this. When you are in certain situations where you're not the best dressed or anything, especially during COVID, I don't think that there should be an emphasis for you to dress better in certain scenarios. So, for example, a lot of these women that Monique is criticizing, I think she was saying how she was at an airport and she saw, you know, women wearing these head scarves and bonnets and what have you. But again, not knowing the context of those situations, for all she knows, these women could have been at the airport for hours upon hours waiting for their flight or they probably have like a layover flight of some sort and they probably fell asleep or whatever the case may be keep in mind she's talking about black women here and i've seen plenty of times where there are white people both men and women who literally come out in their crocs and their pajamas and their t-shirts with a hole in it or like a coffee stain on it out in public I remember, you know, being in school at Sheridan specifically, and I used to have some of my classmates come to to class in their pajamas when we had an 8 a.m. class. I've seen that before. I've seen I've seen, you know, women who had no makeup on and they were wearing their their nightgown. Some of them were wearing a onesie, you know, just in the auditorium, taking out notes and everything like that. Not something I would do, but I'm not going to police somebody on it. And so I just find it interesting that, you know, there's not a lot of context being delivered here. Now, for example, I'll put myself into the equation. Any of you guys who have seen me, I'm rocking the, the curly high top fade. That's the hairstyle that I'm rolling with. When I wake up in the morning, th- that shit be looking crazy. It's looking crazy. I don't go to bed with a, with a do-rag or a headscarf or, or anything like that. I just don't. I just go to bed as it is. And then when I hop in the shower, I put the product in and do all that good stuff. But I don't, I don't wear a head wrap or anything like that. Now, there are times that I will go outside with my hair looking crazy, but under certain context. If I'm taking out the trash or the recycling, sure. If I'm going to the corner store, which is like a five-minute walk away from my house and I need to grab some milk, cool. If I'm going out for a run, cool. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to end up coming back home and showering anyway, so why not? But I'm not going to go, you know, and mind you, COVID or not, I'm not going to go to work with my hair looking crazy. I'm not going to go to the movies or amongst the general public with my hair looking crazy. No, I'm going to find a time and place to, you know, dress up my hair. But I'm also going to find a time and place to just let it be as it is if I'm going to be within close proximity of my home. And when I am home, I don't dress my hair at all. Sometimes I let my shit just drop. I'll hop in the shower and maybe put some product in there, but I don't try and, you know, prop it upward or anything like that. I just let it hang. I let that thing hang. Let the curls, the bouncy curls hang. I don't care. 
Because who am I dressing up for? I'm I'm home. I'm not going to be on a Zoom chat with anybody. I'm not doing FaceTime with anybody. I'm chilling. So I think Monique is missing the context of these situations. And, you know, while it doesn't, while it, it it's not the quote-unquote most cleanest image to be seen rocking a bonnet or, or a headscarf at Walmart or whatever, it's still not her job or anyone else's job to police that. At the end of the day, every single person has a choice as to how they choose to pre- present themselves in public. And if there are women out there who want to, you know, wear the head wraps in public and all that stuff, cool. That's all you. Do what you got to do. And if you don't want to do that, then that's fine as well. I just don't think anyone should be policing anyone's style of dress or anything like that. To actually have the audacity to go up them and tap them on the shoulder, like what Monique is telling them to do, is ludicrous. This, in fact, reminds me back in the day of when, of when, uh, what's it called? Bill Cosby. <laughs> Bill Cosby. He's got a lot more other issues these days. But when Bill Cosby used to tell uh, black men to pull up their pants and and all that stuff being that that doubting you know quote-unquote father figure but nobody asked for your opinion though especially nowadays when you're out here roofing girls and shit and nobody's asking for your opinion at all and i don't think anyone should be asking for monique's opinion as well like she claims that people are calling her auntie and she gets that title who's calling you auntie Unless if it's, at, it's your actually nieces and nephews at the family barbecues, who out here is calling you auntie? I've never heard anyone call Monique auntie before, nor do I think she deserves that title. You don't speak for the black community. You don't speak for black women. I think what Monique is trying to do nowadays is she's trying to stay relevant in any and every way possible. And I notice that when a lot of these celebrities, especially when it comes to comedians, are starting to fall off. They tend to hop on a social issue to keep their name in the in the the sphere of social media or whatever the case may be. <clears throat> Prime example, what was it three or four years ago? She she had that issue with Netflix and she was mad at the fact that Netflix was only offering her five hundred k for a comedy special. So what did she do? She denied the offer, but then she accused Netflix of racism towards black women specifically and then wanted all of her fans to boycott Netflix and then she turned that into the fight for justice with regards to black women I'm sorry when did she start to become socio-political to me it screamed out false virtue signaling because she's never really talked about these issues before in public but now that things are down bad for her, now she wants to hop on a social issue just so she can remain relevant. And celebrities know what they're doing when they do this because of the fact that when it comes to you know a celebrity having a falling star, they hop on social issues because social issues are the end thing to talk about now, especially when it comes to social media. She is very cognizant of that, and she knew that she would have people talking, like myself, about her, and that's what she wants. So I just think that all this is bullshit. Um, I think she is very self-righteous. She views herself as a sanctimonious individual, which I think is bullshit. 
And I think she's in no position to be telling people what to do or how to handle their affairs when she herself doesn't know how to handle her affairs. Because I said this a few years back when the whole thing happened. And I said that when Netflix allegedly uh, lowballed her on an offer, what she should have done was taken the money, do her Netflix special, and she's that confident in her abilities as a comedian, then she should have come in and killed that shit and look at the revenue and the numbers that, that, that she would have streamed and generated. And she should have taken that because those are all facts. She should, have, she should have taken that, go to the Netflix people and be like, okay, look at the numbers that I did. Time to rene- renegotiate my contract. What's up? Easy. Take what you're given, flip that shit so that you can, so that you can rightfully charge a higher asking price. All these comedians coming out who were getting mad at Dave Chappelle for getting, what was it, like a, was a, like a $50 million deal from Netflix? Chris Rock got a similar deal as well. Do you know who these people are? Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle are two of arguably the top five comedians of all time. Their legacies are cemented. With everything that they've done. Chris Rock made a name for himself for his HBO specials. His HBO comedy specials set off the trend of premium network comedy specials. Before then, all you had was Def Comedy Jam. You had comedy sketch shows and that was it. Before Chris Rock did his comedy specials on HBO, no one was doing that. He set the trend for what every comedian is doing nowadays. And then as for Dave Chappelle, Chappelle's show is one of the top five greatest sketch comedy shows of all time. It is still a staple in pop culture to the point where it's available on streaming platforms, to the point where people are still quoting from that show. You know how many times I've heard people say, I'm Rick James, bitch. You know how many times I've heard people say, game, blouses. You know how many careers were either started or reinvigorated from Chappelle's show, Bill Burr would not be where he's at if it weren't for him being a writer and a contributor on the Chappelle show. Charlie Murphy reinvented himself to the point where he wasn't just known as Eddie Murphy's older brother. He was Charlie Murphy. Donnell Rollins made a career for himself off of that show. Paul Mooney was actually given a face as opposed to being, you know, the writer for Richard Pryor and all these other comedians that came before him. No, there was a face to the name since then. So, of course, Dave, Ch- Dave Chappelle is going to have a high asking price, especially when you see all the numbers and units that the DVDs of Chappelle's show had done over the years with all the ratings that he had got conjured up uh, while the show was airing. So, of course, he's going to get $50 million because people want to hear him talk. And half the time, he's not even doing jokes anymore. He's just doing commentary on what's happening in society. And that's all that we need from him at this point. So with Monique complaining about, oh, how come I'm only getting this amount? Well, Monique, what have you done? What have you done in recent years? Or what have you done that changed the landscape of pop culture that, that makes you ask for a higher asking price? I'm not opposed for you to ask for a higher asking price, as you should. But to say that you should be given the same amount of respect or clout as a Dave Chappelle or a Chris Rock is laughable. Because some of your best efforts in comedy 
have only been seen by a small audience, by a small market. And I'm just talking about black people, straight up. Nobody outside the black community was watching the Parkers on UPN back in the day. Nobody was watching the, repeat, uh, the repeats of that show when they aired on BET back in the day outside of black people. Nobody outside the, commu- outside the black community watched the movie Fat Girls. Nobody, maybe a few people outside the black community were watching the movie Soul Plane, but they weren't watching it because you were in it. You were not the marquee. And listen, I know there's a few supporters of her who are going to say, well, she won an Oscar. She won an Oscar. Yeah, she won an Oscar for a dramatic role, not a comedy role. She won it for her role in Precious. You really want to flash off the fact that you won an Oscar for a Tyler Perry produced movie? That's not anything to be proud of. This is nothing to be proud of at all whatsoever. So, honestly... You know, Monique is doing the most, doing the most to try and get relevancy. But the fact of the matter is, is that she's old, washed up and irrelevant. And if you try and disagree with her on whatever issues that she wants to speak on that relate to her. Then you're seen as somebody who's not supportive to the black community and that you're holding the black community back. Like some of the interviews that she's done over the last few years for people who have questioned her motives. Oh, my God. She is so toxic at this point. Like she's so toxic. She is she she views herself as somebody who's benevolent above all else. And she's above all types of criticism that she can't even look at the bigger picture and recognize the fact that she's washed up. That's the reality of the situation. And she refuses to accept it. So she's going to fall on the sword that she planted and. When she realizes it, it's going to be too late. So closing out this topic, I say to, you know, all the women who be wearing their bonnets and their headscarves and what have you, if you want to wear it, cool. You know, people aren't aren't going to be, you know, looking at you you the in the most favorable way. But, hey, that doesn't mean that people should police you on what you want to wear. So if you want to wear that, wear that. It makes no difference to me. I see people I've seen people wear some crazier shit before. But at the end of the day, I keep it to myself. I don't say, I don't go up to somebody and tap them on the shoulder and be like, you should dress better, queen. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, if you want to wear a bonnet, cool. I'm probably never going to see you again ever in my life. <laughs> You're just another face that, that I happen to walk or run past in, in this game that we call life. So it is what it is. But anyways, that's my take on the situation. Monique is washed up. She's a, a bonnet to cover her mouth so that she can shut the hell up forever. Do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? You already know what the deal is. Let me know on all my socials, and I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say on that. Now, let's get to the next topic, shall we? Um, so this is Trip Talk, three of the hottest topics that took place in pop culture. And with that said, let's get to it. So actress, comedian Issa Rae has been tapped to play a role in the upcoming sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So when I first came across this news, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Easter Rain in an anime feature. This should be pretty interesting. Um, I'm a fan of Insecure. Uh, and I'm also a fan of the all-black all, all, all black female sketch comedy show. I thought that was a pretty dope concept that they did uh, with that as well. So I'm like, okay, cool. Well, what character is she going to play? And then it was stated that, or reported rather, that she is going to play the role of Spider-Woman. And when I came across that, 
I had to pump the brakes for a second. I was like, mm, don't know how to feel about this. I'm going to wait until I get more details. And the reason why I came to that abrupt halt is because the moment I heard that she, a black woman, is playing the voice of Spider-Woman, a white woman, it immediately gave me black Superman vibes. Okay? It gave me black Superman vibes mainly for the reasons that I was outlining a few weeks ago. And we were talking about how the role of Superman, a.k.a. Clark Kent, a.k.a. Cal-El, was going to be played by, or they're looking to have that role played by a black male uh, actor. And I was on the rebuttal on that, saying that they shouldn't be doing that because that character has always been identified as a white guy. Now, the whole loophole is that, well, he's technically an alien from Krypton, but let's keep it 100. The way he was stylized in anime was made to portray the image of a white man. If he was an alien and you want to use that logic, then, you know, why not make him a black guy, a Latino guy, et cetera, et cetera. And they made him a white guy because they knew that it would sell more copies of the comic book, et cetera, et cetera. And he would be nowhere near the iconic figure that he was at if he was made to look like another race outside of white. That's the bare bones of it. And it's like, why not just have the role be of a black Superman that's already established? So, like, uh, I think I mentioned in the other pod, I said Calvin, was, was it Calvin Richardson or Calvin something? And then there's another character called Val Zod. Why not do movies on those guys who are actually black in the comic books? And you can do like a parallel universe that's already adjacent to the one that's already established in the films. But no, you're just going to do a whole race swap thing altogether. So when I came across this news about Issa and the character that she's playing, it, it kind of had me conflicted. But here's the difference. The whole Superman thing or what have you, that's a live action movie. So we're actually going to see a black actor in the flesh, you know, wh- whomever that may be. however when it comes to this movie this is going to be animated and so the rules of animation play out a little bit differently because you can be a black actor and play the voice of a non-black character it could be a white guy it could be a latino guy etc etc whatever the case may be however what people have to understand and recognize is that there is a stark contrast between voice acting and lending your voice to a character. Okay? So I'm going to give you some examples. So the show Invincible, for example. It's a very popular show that, that's airing right now on Amazon Prime. It's probably the best animated TV series on television right now. And arguably the best superhero show on television right now. Go watch that if you haven't watched it. Um, there, there is a list of of popular actors who are lending their voices to that show. You have J.K. Simmons, you have Stephen Yeun, uh, you have um, Mahershala Ali, you have Seth Rogen, and they're all lending their voices. They're acting like they would act in any other live-action film, but they're just lending their voices. Beyonce in the remake of The Lion King, as well as Donald Glover in the remake of The Lion King, they were lending their voices. They weren't really doing any voice acting. They weren't doing any type of Um, vocal techniques to manipulate the intonations of the voice to immerse themselves as a different role. It's like, for example, I'll give you voice acting example. Mark Hamill as the Joker in Batman, the animated series, that is voice acting. 
when you are manipulating and contorting your voice to make yourself sound like someone who's completely different from who you are in real life, that is voice acting. Kevin Conroy as Batman in Batman the Animated Series. Again, voice acting, manipulating his voice. When you have someone like Phil Lamar, a black voice actor, I want to keep in point because this relates to my example. Phil Lamar, when you have Phil Lamar, who was playing the role of, he's played tons of roles, but when he's playing the role of Samurai Jack, for example, a Japanese-based character, he is voice acting, contorting his voice to make himself sound like somebody who's completely different from himself. When you have James Avery, a.k.a. Uncle Phil, you know who Uncle Phil is. When you have him playing the, the, the vocal role of the Shredder in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon from the 80s, that is voice acting. You would never imagine that Uncle Phil and the Shredder were played by the same actor. You know why? Because voice acting is a completely different realm as opposed to lending your voice for a film. If you're watching the movie Shrek, for example, Eddie Murphy as the donkey. That, that, that's just Eddie Murphy lending his voice. You can tell off the bat that that's Eddie Murphy. Same thing with, with uh, Mike Myers, even though he put on a Scottish accent playing the role of Shrek. Again, he is just lending his voice to a movie because when you have an, an <coughs> pardon me, when you have an animated movie that has like a big budget and has a whole bunch of actors tied to it, you want to have um, people recognize those voices so that it will incline them to watch the movie. Even if we are talking about Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse, um, the actor who played the main role of Miles Morales, um, I can't remember his name, but this is the same actor who played the roles who played the lead role in the movie Dope. He also played a role in the show The Get Down, and he played the role of Raekwon in the uh, Wu-Tang biopic series on Hulu. He was voice acting because I did not know it was him until you know I saw a behind-the-scenes special. He was actually playing the role of somebody who was not completely like him in any way, shape, or form. That is what you're supposed to do as a voice actor. So I say all that to bring it around and I go back to Issa Rae. Also, I want to point out that Michael Kevin Michael Richardson, well-known black voice actor, has played many roles, both black characters and non-black characters. That, again, is an example of voice acting. Um, Hoon Lee, who, played the, who has played many roles in shows such as Warrior, Banshee, um, has also voice acted and has played the role of Splinter in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the 2012 Nickelodeon cartoon as well. Again, voice acting. Anyways, I digress. Bringing it back to Issa Rae. If Issa Rae is actually going to voice act and she is not going to be lending her voice to this character, then I'm here for it. That's great. If anything, that looks better on her acting resume because it shows that she can do more than just play an extension of herself on screen. But if she's just, just going to be lending her voice to this character, then I'm sorry, but it's going to be sounding weird that I'm listening to a white girl speak with a Compton accent. I do not want to hear a white girl playing, you know, the role of Spider-Woman, you know, coming like she just came out from the Compton swap house. I don't need to be hearing Spider-Man talking about, hey, girl, I'm out here coming in from, from Crenshaw. No, I, I'm, no, no. If you want to give Spider-Woman a black scent, then you may as well have Iggy Azalea play that role if that's the case. No, what I want to see from Easter Rae, if, she, if she's actually going to be playing this role, is I want to see 
voice acting. Voice acting. So if she's going to manipulate and control her voice to the point where she's actually going to be playing a character that is not Issa Rae, and her voice is just going to have no type of cultural intonation to it whatsoever, it's just going to sound like a very basic and generic transatlantic accent accents then i'm cool with it i'm good with it like if i can listen to you speak and 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 it sounds like your voice is very indistinguishable from any other race or whatever the case may be i'm here for it that shows off range as an actor but if if i'm watching spider woman talk and all i hear is isa then I'm not going to feel pretty. I'm not going to feel good about it. I'm just going to be like, you could have given this role to somebody else or you could have had a role um, created for Issa so that she could put her own Issa Rae spin on it as opposed to giving her a well-established role in the comics that could have been given to somebody else because Spider-Woman and, and Issa Rae, yeah, it just doesn't fit. I'm sorry. It just does not fit. So that's why I'm very reserved on this. I'm not excited not through the roof, but I'm also not going to condemn it either. I'm just going to stay very neutral on it, but I'm making it be clear of what I want to see from Issa if she is, in fact, tapped to play the role of Spider-Woman. So we'll see how it plays out. Very curious to know how it will play out. And I just hope it's not going to be another race swap situation where they easily just could have gotten a black character for her to play or... For all we know, it could be a situation where she actually does voice act and immerse herself into a role that's completely different from what she's ever done before. So we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. But what do you guys think about it? Hit me up in, in uh, it could be my comment section. It could be any of my social media platforms. And just let me know what you um, assess as far as the situation is concerned. Uh, now, let's talk about Naomi Osaka. She recently pulled out of the French Open and was actually fined uh, $15,000 uh, by, I guess, the, the governing body of, of the Tennis Association because of the fact that she refused to talk to the press and the media. Um, and then she revealed <clears throat> that she was going to pull out of the tournament because she's having some mental health issues and she wants to get that sorted out. Now, I commend her for that because, you know, you never know what's going on with anyone, whether whether or not they're a celebrity. You never know what's happening with anyone. So if they say that they need to take some time to deal with any personal issues, then you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. My issue, however, is the fact that there are a lot of people who are criticizing her decision to pull out of the tournament. And they're basically just kind of gaslighting her and saying how, well, she's a professional athlete. She gets paid millions of dollars. And part of her contract is to talk to the press. How come she can't do that? And my thing is, if this were a white athlete, if this is if this was Maria Sharapova, for example, if this was, you know, Bianca Andrescu, no one would say a word. If anything, it would be the exact opposite. They'd be like, oh my gosh, she's so courageous for wanting to take time for herself. Oh my gosh, good for her. More women need to look at her as an example. But because we're talking about a black and Asian woman saying how they have mental health issues, then it's a problem. Listen, man, racism, at, at regardless of what level it's at, whether it's very minimal or whether it's major, whether it's blatant and in your face or whether it's systemic, racism does not surprise me. It merely disappoints me. And this is no different. 
it's just disappointing that you know we're reducing her her issues with regards to mental health as something that's very trivial as an excuse as as something that shouldn't be taken seriously and Naomi Osaka isn't somebody who has been seen as a problem child of any sort like she hasn't gone into any trouble uh with the law she hasn't been in any type of you know scandal or anything like that she hasn't uh been seen as a nuisance on on the on the on the tennis court like she definitely doesn't have the career of 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 uh Roy McEnroe like she she's she's been a straight arrow for all I've seen so I don't see well no that's a lot I do see why they're giving her so much grief because again black athlete um but nonetheless like I don't see any viable reason to give her all this flack so once again, this is racism, um, you know, coming into play, and they're going to be people saying, "No, it's not racism. It's just it's, she should she should be a professional." Like, stop, stop, stop trying to gaslight the situation. Don't try and come at me with the Martin Luther King quote because you because you know good and well that white people did not like Martin Luther King until after the fact that he was assassinated. Um, so don't 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 even try to give me any of that bullshit listen if this woman needs to take time and to, to deal with whatever she has going on in her personal life i say more power to her she's one of the most reputable names in the tennis landscape right now uh one of the most reputable names in the world of sports and in and in, 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 uh athleticism let her have her time to go through whatever she's going through and just leave it at that that's that's all that needs to be said like give this woman some time and get off her damn back about it that's what I would say as far as the situation is concerned. Um, other than that, what do you guys think? Um, do you guys think that people are coming at her for no reason? Um, I definitely do. But nonetheless, let me know what your thoughts are. And uh, let's talk about it. And finally, finally for Trip Talk, <clears throat> let's talk about Rory Amal real quick, actually. So Rory Amal who have now ventured off into their own as far as doing their own podcast or what have you. They also have a collaboration with Kevin Durant in the works. Yes, that Kevin Durant. <clears throat> They're going to be coll- collaborating with him on a project. Um, the project has yet to be revealed, uh, but this was announced by Kevin Durant via social media that they have something lined up with Rory and Mal. And I think this is dope because a lot of people were questioning as to whether or not Rory and Mal can survive on their own without the star power of Joe Budden. And I said that I would be curious to see if they do end up doing their own podcast or or some sort of uh, a venture involving the two of them. And not only are they doing that, but the fact that they have Kevin Durant lined up for their for whether it's for their podcast or whether it's for Kevin Durant's uh, boardroom imprint, I'm here for it. I've said before, I would be curious to hear a Rory Amal podcast or whatever the case may be. And if they do have one, then great. I'm going to be listening to that. As for the Joe Budden podcast, I don't really care about it. I don't care about it at all. Like, I cared about it when Rory Amal were on. But now that, you know, they're not on the pod anymore, I don't care for Joe. Because I've been saying for, for years that Joe is full of shit. He's full of shit. And now that you don't have... You know, people like Roy Amal to bounce him out anymore. And all we're going to be doing is just going to be listening to him, you know, bloviate. I don't give a shit. 
So good for Rory and Mal. They're on their own. They're on the up and up. They're out here winning. And I want to hear more for it. And I, and I want to see uh, what this collaboration is going to have in store for for all three of them, for, the, for that matter, and see what it, 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 it blooms going forward. So, again, what do y'all think? Let me know what your thoughts are, and I'd be curious to know uh, what your opinion on is on the matter, and we'll go from there. And now, to conclude the show, you guys already know how we do. Drum roll, please. Actually, no, I'm not going to do a drum roll because the whole table is going to start shaking. I'll just do my patented throat clearing. <clears throat> Who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the captain of coonery this week. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. And this week's Wankster of the Week goes to none other than Disney. I gotta give them the Wankster of the Week because they basically, quote-unquote, reprimanded film director Taika Waititi for a photo That was, I don't know if it was leaked or if it was posted on social media, but a photo that was surfaced that had him surrounded with uh, celebrities Rita Ora and Tessa Thompson. And in the photo, he was basically sandwiched in between the two of them, and they looked as if to be very cozy. Rita Ora kind of gave him like a kiss on like the corner lip, and then Tessa was kind of like in his like, I guess his chest with her hoodie on or whatever. And to me, it looked like they're just having, you know, a fun time being cuddled up with one another. And of course, a picture says a thousand words. So we don't have the context behind that picture. And by the looks of said picture, it looks like a paparazzi photo. It doesn't look like they were taking it on their camera or anything like that. So it's not like they had any control of whatever situation they're in. But nonetheless, it was enough to warrant Disney to give him a warning of some sort. And here's the issue that I have with Disney. So they're saying that this is an inappropriate picture and how it could send the wrong message to their their child fan base or their kid consumers, whatever the case may be. But it's just a basic ass photo of all three of them cozied up with uh, what's her face with Rita Ora kind of giving him like a kiss on the cheek or a kiss on the corner lip, whatever the case may be. That's all it was. But we want to punish them for that. Keep in mind that a lot of the titles that you have absorbed from that Fox merger a few years back, you have some pretty violent titles in there. I mean, you have Deadpool as one of the movies that you're you're going to incorporate as part of the MCU. And we already know Deadpool is self-explanatory, but you want to reprimand Taika Waititi for a cozy picture. Keep in mind, this is the same Disney company who had historically put out racist cartoons depicting black people in a very racist way back in the 50s. And then during the 80s and 90s, and even the earlier parts of the 2000s, you had your infamous or famous Disney princesses who were depicted as damsels in distress who couldn't do anything without the help of a man. You had Cinderella who had to rely on her Prince Charming to give her a glass slipper so that she could live in a lap of luxury. You had to... Uh, what's the, the the princess's name from Sleeping Beauty? You had to rely on her, or you, she had to rely on the prince to wake her up from a kiss. You know, all these women had to rely on the help of a man, and that screams out a lot of positive issues towards women and self empowerment. I bet. But we're out here punishing Taika Waititi 
for being, you know, cozied up with two women who chose to be in his presence. But that's a problem. Yeah, I'm sorry, but Disney, sometimes, man, y'all do the most in trying to ensure that you're on the, the, the narrow path, but you end up doing more harm than good in that process. And this is one of those situations. It reminds you of when they fired James Gunn for a tweet that he put out like 10 years ago about something that could be seen as inappropriate and what have you. But it's not like he was continuing any of those things that he was saying in that tweet. But then you realize that you messed up and you rehired him to do Guardians of the Galaxy for a third time. This is just Disney being Disney. They're they're trying to dot their T's and cross their or sorry, cross their T's and dot their I's or whatever you want to call it. And at the end of the day, it's like you're doing the most. So to that, I say, Disney, you're getting the wanks of the week. Sorry, not sorry. You're getting the wanks of the week for making a big deal out of nothing seemingly. And yeah, hold on to this wankster. Do you deserve it? Of course you do. And on that note, we're going to end today's podcast, people. I uh, want to thank y'all for tuning in once again. You already know how to get in touch with me. Um, all my socials are through Cool Radio CC or at Cool Radio CC, I should say, uh, to get in touch with the show. Listen to us on multiple platforms. And if you have anything that you would like me to discuss, let me know, because I'd be curious to hear what your suggestions are as well. But nonetheless, once again, it is your man, DM Cool. And Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.